welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 52. Two for 222. No, just episode 52. As we always like to remind you on our podcast here, please download, rate, review, and share. We appreciate all the support. We've had an incredible last month, last couple weeks. Keep it coming. We love it. And things are paying off here. All that work. And it's all because of you. So thank you. This will be a CONCACAF World Cup heavy show as we are putting a bow on all the action from Sunday. And there are just four games remaining. And for the U.S. men's national team, things are getting tighter. We're hoping they would expand a little bit. There will be no nine points. There will be no seven points in this window. As it was a triumphant afternoon in Hamilton, Ontario, for Canada. Coming up in the business end, we'll be joined by one of the great voices of Canadian soccer, former guest here on the Soccer OG, VP of Media at One Soccer, as or I should say the Canadian Premier League, and also a voice at One Soccer. It's Christian Jack. We know you love Christian. He is uh he's gotta be thrilled. And I'm excited for him. I'm excited for everyone who covers this sport in Canada because they've been waiting for this for a long time. We will talk the next round of World Cup qualifiers in stoppage time, seeing what the U.S. needs. Mexico also in a little bit of peril, dropping points at home. It's all shaping up. We'll talk about everything that is happening in the world of football as we'll get back to the club scene very soon. So let's get started, and I mean that right now. Okay, we are back, uh, licking the wounds, drying the tears from the U.S.'s performance in Canada. It was supposed to be there, but uh, we had our production team, someone got COVID. And I don't think going to the Canadian, through Canadian customs would have been a good idea and said, oh, I have COVID. Yeah, that's going to happen. Very excited, though, to be joined by Christian Jack. Feet on the ground in Hamilton. Great conversation coming your way here shortly. The World Cup is coming into view. More teams will start qualifying. Canada's right at the cusp. They won't qualify in on Wednesday, but close enough. Teams in uh, Asia are certainly getting closer. We know the final 10 in Africa will have the qualifiers in Europe, which is going to be a just good old time as we get uh, those last bids from UEFA. It's, it's such a wonderful thing to cover when you have the national teams. It's uh, For me, I've covered every sport, but being able to cover the national teams and see what's happening all over the world and how important the World Cup is. Look, I want a biennial World Cup for my own set of reasons, just so the CONCACAF and Asia and Africa can get better opponents because getting opponents is going to be very tricky moving forward, especially in this next cycle of World Cup for 2026 for the U.S. And they're not going to be able to play European teams with the regular, uh, especially not in a competitive role. Where you get these competitive games really matters. And that's going to help you perform at the World Cup. Let's be let's be quite frank. So the this, but getting back to my point, when you go through the four years, and the great thing of a World Cup every four years is what's at stake with these results. These It makes these qualifiers illuminate and uh, we'll talk about some of the qualifiers coming up in stoppage time for the next round of CONCACAF but just a perfect example looking at what happened in Comebol there's going to be another run of Comebol games coming your way starting on Tuesday and actually all the games will be on Tuesday so check that out and the big one was Peru in the last round beating Beating uh, Colombia and Colombia now on the outside looking in. They had 30 shots in that game. And yet Peru took theirs and get a huge win there in Barranquilla. And now the standings have Brazil and Argentina in. Ecuador pretty close. Peru's now in fourth. Uruguay got a win there in fifth. And Colombia, two points off the Uruguayans in sixth. Chile with an outside shot, but that's about it. I want Colombia in the World Cup. They have an incredible team, a much better team than Peru, but it doesn't mean they're going to go. You've got to qualify, and very difficult qualifying in South America. Now Peru's got the inside track. Colombia has three games to go, and I think they have to win all of them, quite frankly, to get in. 
Qualifying's continuing everywhere. We also had AFCON. AFCON is down to the final four. My pick, Morocco, losing to Egypt in a game I saw. It was just fantastic this Sunday morning. Mo Salah with a goal and assist. Liverpool have to be kicking themselves because Mo Salah and Sadio Mane both went through the semifinals. However, all of that hullabaloo about missing players for that stretch, it's a little bit, you can downplay it a fair bit. Now, Liverpool haven't played because of the international break, and their first game coming up this weekend would be an FA Cup. And yes, you want Mane and Salah for the FA Cup, but more importantly, you want them in the league. So they didn't really miss a lot. So for all the talk about AFCOM being here in January and early February, it hasn't been this seismic just explosion in these Premier League and other big European clubs because of all the great African talent. So we're down to Egypt will take on Cameroon. So the hosts will have a really good game there. And then it will be Burkina Faso, Senegal. The cream has risen to the top. We had Equatorial Guinea and Gambia. All make a run. Really, the only minnow that you could really say now uh, is Burkina Faso. They have a shot. That could be a, a finalist. They've continued to, to make their way through, and they beat Tunisia down a man. So great soccer action. We'll get back to the leagues here. and this, But these international windows, you hold on to them. I just love it. I just love talking about all of this and sharing it with you. And we can get upset about the U.S., We'll talk more about it with Christian. And he has, again, some great thoughts on the U.S. But just as we look at it, I would first start by saying that we got to respect Canada. This is a team that's been consistent. They have an identity. They, they have been like clockwork during these qualifiers. They win at home. They get points on the road. They're fearless. Even without Alfonso Davies, they found a way here. And yes, Greg Berhalter would talk a lot about how he... Don't did not think that Canada dominated, and he says he can't remember a performance away from home that was this dominant where they didn't get a result. Well, it doesn't matter what it looked like. We get caught up in expected goals and all this data points, and it really comes down to delivering when taking your chances. And the U.S. have had a real bad problem with taking their chances. They can't score goals these last two games. It's been heavy lifting. They need a striker. Canada's got two good strikers in Laren and David. Those two guys won them this game. The United States uh, are bouncing around a fair bit, and we need to figure this out. And I still believe Ricardo Pepe is the guy. He hasn't scored a goal since October in any competition. We haven't had a goal from a striker since I can long, so too long to remember. We need one. It's a huge missing piece for United States success. Maybe we play with two to get one to go. Maybe there's a formation change. We, I was watching this game, and the U.S. barely set foot in the midfield. It's on the left flank or the right flank. It's the system they use. And Greg Berhalter, it's a good system. But maybe the players aren't the right, to, right group to execute it. As we've always talked about these qualifiers, you don't just look at your list. Who are the best 11 players? Let's find a way to shoehorn them in and play with our best 11. It's not working that way. You get the best team. You find some guys that are specialists. You find some guys who will, you know, lift up his socks and get after it, even though he may not be the most talented player. You find a way to get a good team. And if it's to fit into that formation or you find a team that's good and you play it a different way, I think Greg Berhalter may have to look at that because there were some flaws in there. This is not a cataclysmic defeat. As I was pointing out, I think you look at the way Canada has been, even without Alfonso Davies, you can't say, hey, we're going to get this result. It's hard to win on the road. And now the United States have a new challenge. You have the challenges of going to Central America and Mexico. Now you have a challenge of going to Canada. The conditions weren't that bad for the U.S. I thought they played well on that surface and they gave up the goal early and, and there it was. They did have a lot of positives. Christian Pulisic is a hot mess, I will say that. But you got to keep starting him. And you look at the, the situation of Pulisic. He took all the set pieces for us. He doesn't take set pieces with his club team. Chelsea have put him in a position to fail. And this is not a shot at Chelsea. It's not. This is, a, um, this is the reality of the game. Chelsea has to do what's best for their team. And that's playing Christian Pulisic at a right wing back or a false nine. Getting him in the game wherever he can make an impact. That's their prerogative. 
But when he comes back to the U.S. team and he hasn't played the position he plays and he's taking set pieces when he doesn't take set pieces for his club, you can't imagine it's going to work. His confidence is very low, too. He addressed the media and he said it. He goes, yeah, this is not my ideal play, playing situation. I like to be versatile, but I want to play at the positions I, I, I should play at. He is our best player. And I would, I would imagine he's going to be in the starting 11 for the next game again. But he had one good corner kick. The rest were were messy. And it's just square hole, square peg, round hole kind of thing, right? That's an alarm bell. Because Christian Pulisic, they follow him still. And we could say Jossie Zardes. We talk about the MLS players, and people want to focus on Jossie Zardes, who had a stinker. But how many threatening plays did we have? Guys missing these chances, whether it was Zardes. Aronson, Aronson's been pretty flat. This is the poorest he's played in for club and country for a long time. We obviously mentioned the thing with Pulisic. The midfield can't connect. There's just this big gap between that middle three and the front three that continues to be too far to reach. What do we do? We're still going to make the World Cup. The United, it's we, sorry, with the United States. Because we know we have our Canadian. And the Canadian listeners, I know you're out there. I could not be happier for you. And when Canada gets to that World Cup, I'm going to be pulling for them. But the U.S. will make it. But they have to figure out how and whom will deliver the goods when they need it in a World Cup game. They've got to prepare for that. The team could look different than the one that's qualifying for the World Cup. We shall see. Do have some news to pass on. And we will be live streaming the Soccer OG YouTube show. My name, Max Bretos. Check it out. New video up there on the USA-Canada game. But we will be streaming live from Tony P's in Marina Del Rey, California. So if you're in the Los Angeles area, in particular if you're on the west side, come to Tony P's on Admiralty Way in Marina Del Rey. The game will end at 6.30. We'll do a live stream. We'll do a post-show after the Mexico game at 9 o'clock Pacific time. Come on by, grab something to eat. Let's, uh, I'll buy you a beer. Depends on how many people. Five or six people show up, I will buy beers. Anything else than that, I might have to shut it down. Come by and watch the game and maybe pop up on the on the, uh, the stream. We're going to have a good time. The U.S. should come out triumphantly, get that result, and we move forward. Okay, we are getting started. Coming up next, Christian Jack in the business end. We're talking USA, Canada. This is the Soccer OG. We are here in the business end. I'm thrilled to welcome in now for the second time here on the Soccer OG, Christian Jack, the VP of Media for the Canadian Premier League. One soccer announcer. He was there in Hamilton, Ontario. When you talk about Canadian soccer, Canadian football, whatever you want to call it, this is the guy. And thrilled that you would join me after being in Hamilton. Have you defrosted yet? Getting a little warmer, Max, as I uh, said off the top before we just press record. Uh, always a pleasure to be with you and talk football, my man. And uh, yeah, <laughs> thankfully the wife had the fire on when I got home. I had time for a little cup of tea and chocolate, so I'm good. Aren't wives the best? They are. I yeah. mean, they, they, they their radar is always on. We're like, okay, he's going to be having a long day. You tell me, we'll, we'll sort it out when we get it. And we have to pay it forward as well. We got it's, it's a partnership. I always, I, I always say behind a good man is a great woman. <laughs> Sometimes behind that great woman's a great man. We got to do it. Equal opportunity. True, exactly. I I was getting kind of the everyone talking about the cold, and far be it for me. I watched it off the of television here in Los Angeles. I uh, but all these games with the U.S. It's about the cold, the cold. And when they talk to managers and the players, they kind of brush it off, and it didn't really seem like it affected uh, the play there. But I, I'll ask it from you and obviously being out there, I, I would imagine it's worse for the fans in many ways, but mm -hmm. how much of a factor was it? It didn't seem like a big factor for me. I think much like Edmonton, when I was there for the Costa Rica, Mexico game, I think the biggest impact, if you talk about conditions is the pitch max. I think it's more than the temperature in the stands or the temperature around the stadium. The pitch is not great. It doesn't necessarily lead to, to wonderful football, uh, it slows down. I was there a couple of months ago for the Canadian Premier League final that we had, and I knew talking to the players, the moment it got cooler and the, the sun starts to go around, it, it's a difficult surface to play on. 
So it's not natural grass. It's not the best football that we want to see. So I think much like Edmonton, the surface isn't great. It was better than Edmonton, only just a little bit. Um, but I think these players are used to playing in all kinds of conditions, right? You've got Champions League players here who are going to play in Russia. You know, they'll go and play in Mexico, Mexico in, the different, in the heat or whatever. So they're all over the place when it comes to conditions. So I don't think it played a ma- massive part, but I do think the pitch impacted a, few, a, bit of the, a bit of the game, no doubt. We could talk about the conditions, but uh, home games have benefited Canada. They've, uh, they've done what they've had to do and created a home field advantage. I will say, Christian, right before the Kyle Laren goal, which was around six minutes, I believe. For five minutes, the U.S. were pinging the ball around on that surface and looked good. And we also had the dimensions of the, the, the field as well. It was, it was on the narrow side. There's no doubt about it. But I, I thought the U.S., I was like looking at the surface because I heard a lot about it. Go, they're doing well. They're keeping it on the ground. They're connecting their passes and then boom. And that's why I think the Kyle Laren goal is just so massive off the a, a poor Matt Turner clearance, less than stellar defending, but at that moment, then it, the ball is in Canada's court. The ball's in there. They have the goal, and they can change, adjust their formation a bit, which they played it off brilliantly. Yeah, it's funny, you know, covering this team. And, you know, you and I have covered sports for a long time. Sometimes you cover teams that are just in the zone, and things just go their way, you know? Like, I think nine times out of ten, Matt Turner saves it. I think it's his fault. I think he should save it. It's, it's, a, it's a good finish. It's a good move. The goal kick in, in, in its place, the goal kick initially isn't great. And I think he gets caught by the wind. It goes nowhere. And Kamal Miller recognizes it before anybody else. So that's probably a mistake that I think he probably could have controlled. But I'm, I think I'm willing to pass on it. I'll give him a pass on it. But I don't think he would want a pass on the save. He should save it. A goalkeeper of that caliber should save it. It's not a, it's not a far shot in the corner. It's not a one with a great in, in, in amount of tempo off the ball. It's good skill by Lara to create the space where he goes wide to create the opening. But when it went in, I was, it, was, it didn't feel well. It didn't feel right for me. I was like, oh, you know, you just see some, some goals. You just go, that didn't seem like it should have been a goal. And it went in. So I think Turner should have saved it. But, you, you know, we alluded to it. You know, there's a lot of things going well for Canada right now. And the early goal, I think, just gave them that opportunity to settle because it wasn't the kind of game they played a lot this year in this campaign. It wasn't a a free-flowing game. They couldn't get the ball a lot of the time. They couldn't create a number of four or five, six passes together. It was clear you could see it was a team that had just arrived back from Honduras on you know Friday morning at six o'clock in the morning and got in their hotel beds, had a walkthrough on Saturday, a little bit of training, and then away they go again, right? They had a further, much, much further travel than the United States teams did. Playing in a window where a lot of MLS players have not played, so they haven't got the competitive juices or match fit ready to go. So there was a lot of things against them, Max. And in the end, that early goal helped them because when they're chasing it and they're, you know, they're, they're working hard and putting all the effort in, it's far easier to do that when it's 1-0 than it is 0-0. Greg Berhalter afterwards uh, would say, I don't think they dominated much of anything tonight. The only thing that separates that is the quality of the strikers. I, it's, I wouldn't say dominated. The U.S. certainly had their chances. If we go down that wormhole of expected goals and possession, et cetera, and just the eyeball tests, the, the U.S. Uh, were able to create some good things, except in that final third. The crosses have always been an issue. And, but he did identify the strikers. And we talked about Alfonso Davies. And everyone's, when Alfonso Davies was out, I know this side of the border, everyone's going nine points, nine points. I go, oh, no. And then I saw the Honduras result, and I go, that's the same Canada in every game. They're the same. T- they play a certain way, and they have this spirit, and they – there's no highs and lows. It's kind of in this sweet spot. So I, I, I kind of felt this impending doom from the U.S. perspective. But we we figured it out that this is Alfonso Davies does deserve a lot of credit for what Canada's done. But they're more than one player. And Jonathan David and Kyle Laren did their part. Tejon Buchanan did their part. The defense and the subs came in, were able to do it. It was uh it's it's a team that is the sum of the parts, which is what you want really on this national team stage. Yeah, they give everything for each other, you know, and, and as I said earlier, no matter the identity of the game, they seem to be able to be up for it. They, they score a lot of goals in transition and counterattacks. They don't create a ton of goals that come from themselves in their own possession. Um, but it was a game where they just had to dig deep and work hard for each other. And in the end, that was there. Now, I, I see from an outsider point of view, and it's funny, I don't like criticizing the U.S. media because I think 
I look at us as a nation, as Canada, and I think we need to get to that level for a lot of things. The U.S. soccer does right, by the way, for the availability, their relationship with journalists, the fact that they've got thick skin and they let journalists break stories against players, i.e. the McKenney story, and then suddenly they don't bar journalists from the media appearances going forward. A lot of things that I think Canada can learn from. And these, these things aren't happening in Canada. Well, no, this kind of right. access, okay. Exactly, right? So I think they need to get better, and I'll speak openly about that. But I do think that the... The, the, the way that the United States media scrutinizes everything is fascinating because it reminds me of my homeland, England, a little bit, where it means everything to you guys, right? And everything. And, and Canada right now has never had that. And, and we're going through this now where we've come from nowhere from the men's team and we're going to go to a World Cup by it looks like we're going to get there. And then I think where we need to come after that is we will go through these moments again. We're a long way behind you guys in the development, right? Maybe 20, 30 years without getting our own league and all of that. I think that will come. But I bring that up because I think, and again, this is a conversation between you and I, but I think the over-scrutiny on the strikers sometimes is too much. But I think today's fair. You know, today was a day where David worked so hard without the ball. He was brilliant defensively. And he played the pass for Lyron and Lyron scored the goal. And the forwards... For the U.S., I think Pulisic and Aronson had their moments. But when I watch the U.S. so often, I feel like I'm watching them play with 10 men. And whether it was Subichu playing in the, in, in the summer when he played against Canada, Zardes today, you know, the other night, Ferreira, I know he got, got, got the goal, but like it, I, I feel like the, not, the nine doesn't do enough, you know, in, in, the, in the formation. I don't know what you think. That's a really interesting point because there, I think there's so much scrutiny, as you said, to score a goal. And look, U.S. have scored one goal, really uninspiring over these last two games. But you, you, the, the pressure falls on the number nine. And I feel it's a, it's, it's a little, it's a very difficult position to play right now. And maybe the, maybe the formation is, not, with the players the U.S. have, maybe the formation that's being used isn't the right one. And, I, and I'm not here to uh, criticize Greg Braldor. I think he's done a lot of good things. He has a style. He has a formation he wants to use. In a perfect world, it have the we'd have the the right pieces. We could plug and play everyone, but I don't know if we're there. And it's I look at whether we play with two strikers, whether we play with someone kind of tucked underneath, so that we could do something in the middle of the park because everything's coming up the flanks. Yeah, and then the it comes up, and then there's shots are blocked, and I go, do you are the best players crossing the ball? Probably not. It's 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 just not a. A, a, a jigsaw puzzle that it, we have, we have all the pieces to yet. So uh, I don't know if there's going to be an adjustment. I'll be, I look great. The goal here for the U S is to qualify. I think realistically people are disappointed here, but the way Canada is playing is you, you can't, you can't say we're going to get points here. Maybe you'd say a point's good to say you're going to win based on the fact that the U S have played up to now is, is, is naive, but yeah. it's and it, look, Canada. Uh, it's 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 I'm so impressed how they observe things. So they they set a game plan. They find out what works. They looked at the referee. The referee would let some things go earlier. So they 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 pushed a little harder because they knew they could get that. And then they tilted things in their favor. And it it it, it works. Every, I know it's not going to work every time, but it feels like it does. <laughs> well, it's game management, right? It's yeah, game management. I think they manage the game really well, and that's what they do a really good job of. And this whole campaign, Max, that's been the case. You know, they've never been seduced by a scoreline or, you know, they don't, you know, when they've gone behind in games, they've just felt, we'll play our own way. We know we're going to get back in it. You know, even when they were winning today, they didn't get, I don't think they got complacent. They just knew they got to stay in it, stay in the game. Um, and that's, that's teamwork. And that's, that is a we before me mentality. That's the way that this team has been the entire time. You give them a mission and they have, they've got each other's backs. It isn't always the case. I've covered sports. I've covered this sport for a long time where teams have told me, oh, yeah, we have a great locker room chemistry. Everyone's looking after each other. I'm like, nah, I see right through it. You know, it's not genuine. This is genuine. This is, as they call themselves, a band of brothers that have grown up together for a long time. Many of the players, like Mark Anthony K, that you know very well, but many of them have said the same thing, all come through the same journey of being told at one time or another, you're not going to make it, or I'm not going to draft you here, or you're not going to. They've got this desire that's fueling them and belief now to go through it. And you see today, Liam Fraser comes on and delivers. Kamal Miller was excellent. You know, so many of these players, Sam Adekubi gets his goal. It's not just about David or Davies when he's there or now Buchanan. 
You know, Astakio didn't even play today. Atiba Hutchinson, the two best central midfielders, don't even play in the game. The U.S. have this awesome midfield, in my opinion, of Adams, McKinney, and Musa that are better midfield than Canada have on the pitch, and they still can't get that midfield dominance over them. So in the end, Canada found a way to win, and, and it's very admirable right now. They're in that zone, no doubt. I'm thinking of all the time I've covered sport, and I will be 100% honest, when the John Herdman announcement was made, I was less than inspired. And part of it was because he's coming from the women's game. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if that adds up. I don't know if that what works here will work there. Although it's the same sport, it's a very different game. And I know there's a certain things that Herdman does and you can see the closeness. And I agree with you hundred percent about that mentality of like, they look out for each other. It, it, it pops off the page with these guys and Herdman has to be given a lot of credit. And I wonder what, how much good, I've gone a sidebar, how much good, I, I, and we look for female coaching uh, candidates that could make it into the men's game. And I wonder how good this will make that for my man, someone who came from the, from the women's game to translate that and show that there are certain similarities where it can be leaned on. I know that's still the, an undiscovered country, and I know they've tried it in basketball, but I think with what Herbin's doing is is close the gap a lot in that way. And then the other second thing, and I'd love to get your thoughts on him is really putting the ball in the player's court. You can just see there is a, there is, you don't see that closeness between coach and player that much. And he doesn't have a huge pedigree coming into this, but he kind of made it and he's created this identity and he's created this attitude where they really push back all the time, which sometimes puts you up, puts you as an opponent, puts your arms up, but it works. And if you can do that and be physical and uncompromising, it, it gives you an edge because they were the they were the 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 tougher, the more uncompromising squad the first time they played in these qualifiers, and certainly the second time. And I give Herdman a lot of credit about that. They they play with an edge, there's no doubt. And I actually I actually think they have a good balance between not going over the line. Like they've not got too emotional, even though they've had melees against Mexico now, the US. We all remember the famous one in the corner against Panama that was kicked off down there when there was a big problem at BMO Field. Um, they, there is a genuine collective feeling that they're sick and tired of being bullied around in the past and they want to stand up for it. You know, I did an interview with Daniil Henry this week where he told me when they had that melee at BMO Field, he knew they were going to win the game when he turned around and he found that Tejon Buchanan and Alfonso Davies were the first players there to get it to stand up for him. You know, it's like, what is Tejon and Alfonso doing in the middle of this? What are you guys doing? And they were standing up for the team. And then he said, I knew we were going to win that game. So that's the thing about the physicality that I think they've got a really good blend and mix of. The, the Herdman one is, is it's, a, it's a fascinating point you bring up. He's trailblazing. There's no doubt about that. You know, I think international coaching suits him. International coaching for me is a lot more relationship-based as a coach than it would be strategy or tactical-based. I'm not saying he couldn't do that tactically in, in a club game because he, I'm sure he could, but it helps right now. You know, he's galvanized this group, this group but with, with one mission. And he's gone backwards. He started with Qatar 2022 and he's worked backwards how we're going to get there. Not one game at a time. That is where we're going to go. And their belief has been there, has been there since day one. And they've been crying out for games like this for months, for months and months. You know, they played Nations League games and eventually got the US. But before that, it was always, you know, Nations League pre-qualifiers or World Cup games, not against big teams. And they'd had enough notice respect of the likes of playing Aruba and Haiti and Montserrat or whoever it was. You know what I mean? They wanted to play the Giants of CONCACAF and test themselves. And when they beat the U.S. in 2019, they started to believe. And then when they got to the Gold Cup, even though Hector Herrera smashed the goal in the 99th minute and beat them, that players told me that day, the moment they lost on that pitch in, in Texas, they said, we, we're going to qualify for this World Cup because they knew that they pushed Mexico so close. They're like, if we can beat these guys... We can beat anybody, and they've proved it. And here they are now, the first team ever to go undefeated against Mexico in the U.S. in, in World Cup qualifying window. How significant, because I'm an LAFC guy, and I, we talk with the LAFC guys, we go, Crepo should start. That's our guy now. We're all behind Maxime Crepo. <laughs> and then uh, Milan Borjan comes in, and you're like, all right, they both could, they're both worthy to be the number one. But Borjan, these last two games, it's and, and that he embodies it. And the, the way he, he pushes things, uh, whether he takes an extra second with the goal kick, all those things go into the pot and you sit there and go, man, that's a, that's a keeper you feel comfortable with behind you. Just a smart guy, game manager, positioning's good. What his role 
What kind of significance can we put on it in particular to what he did in this game against the United States? Well, yeah, he made another great save from McKenney, right? And I mentioned it in the broadcast. McKenney scored that goal in the Nations League final, that run at the near post and the header. He scored this. 100%, yeah. Goal. And so Boyer, Boyer makes a save at a crucial time when I think the States were the better team. Uh, he's a leader. He's a leader of this team. He's the one who gets them all together in the scrum afterwards and, 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 and shouts and motivates everybody. He's the vocal leader. It is still a really young team, Max. Even though there is a famous team now with all these big names around the world, they're still really, really young. And they need players like that. It cannot just be a coach-led driven environment in that moment. You need what John Herman will call your, your leadership group. And he's a massive part of that. And with it, his game has improved significantly. He will admit that he made too many individual mistakes. Some Canadian fans will be looking at going, oh, what's he going to do now? He's going to make a mistake. And, it, and he never really had that concentration. And you mentioned Crepeau. Crepeau's pushed him because Maxime Crepeau is good enough to play now for Canada as a number one. Proved it in the Gold Cup. He is more than good enough and more than capable to be the number one goalie. And I think will be the number one goalie in the 2026 World Cup. Um, but right now, it's, it's Milan's goal. And uh, he's proving, it, that, proving that case. But both of them are pushing each other in competition for places, as you know, is enormous. That's just, just to go on a sidebar here, but that's something that I, I don't think people grasp when we, you mentioned about how the American public is going. And it, it's a great thing because everyone's engaged and everyone has an opinion and everyone gets upset about different things. And there's crazy, there's like these U.S. soccer conspiracy theory truthers that, you know, that think that there's too many MLS. They have a, a number of MLS players coming in there, but there's a different tears that about uh, each one and what they're uh, what they're able to do. But one thing that I, I think that's not understood is that the qualifying team is not necessarily going to be the team they take it into this World Cup. And you mentioned 2026 for Craig Poe, but 2022, there's going to be a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. And I think more for the U.S. I think the Canadian team has, has got that. But when there are certain players not selected, it's it a lot can change between now. Hopefully, every the U.S. make it. Canada's certainly going to make it. But a lot can change between now and November. A lot can change. And I think, I, I certainly think, again, turning on the U.S. point of view, we, we get asked tons up here about Canada. I'm doing the game. I'm being an analyst on the game. But I wanted to talk more about the U.S. a little bit in our post-game show. And I think games like today are an enormous part of the U.S.'s development. You know, I think I've said to you before on this show as an outsider, I don't know how much talk, talk it gets in the U.S., but your team doesn't play enough competitive games away from home. Yep. Nowhere near because of money. And because of CONCACAF, so they always play at home in the Gold Cup. The Nations League has only just come around. And then they don't play enough games. It's the exact reason why they didn't qualify for the World Cup in 2018. I've got the notes here in my book. They won at Cuba. and They lost against Canada in the Nations League. Two games. In 2022 World Cup qualifiers now, they've won one of five away from home. No, that's, that's not very good. In 2018, they won one of eight. One of eight away from home. And by the way, that was at St. Vincent's and the Grenadines. In 2014, they won one of three in the main round. And then they eventually won at Jamaica and Panama with 93rd-minute goals. So their record is woeful. It's six out of 23 in the last 10 years in competitive games away from home. So they need more of these moments. And of course, it wasn't necessarily the way that the United States wanted it to go today. But they will be better for playing a game like this. I think they're going to get to the World Cup. I think they're going to be fine at the World Cup. I think they've got big game players who can step up at the World Cup when they'll be ready to go as well. So I'm not too worried about them. I'm really, I'm really not. Uh, it didn't go their way today. Uh, but as you said, the turnover will come. They'll get better players. And hopefully in that time, Pepe's come on and Pepe's come on and become a bit more of a star. And he can be somebody who can rely on and play it every week because, you know, that's now what Canada have got with David and Lauren. And they've had their journeys. You know, Lauren will, will be the first to tell you, you know, two years ago, we could never have told you this would be Kyle Lauren. You know, nowhere near. You know, talking, MLS. What a revival. Revival, a remarkable revival, right? A guy who's found himself, found family now, and ch- ch- turned his life around. Yeah, uh, made some big mistakes. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah, personally, he made a lot of big mistakes. And so he's learned from that. Um, and that's, that's just the journey, right, that these young players are on. And sometimes we have to give them time to, to develop and be patient. I'm going to start telling folks, go, Canada did us a favor on, uh, on Sunday because uh, we need <laughs> – we need to test ourselves on the road game. So that's the way you got to look at it. But it's a great point, Christian. And I got to tell you that not enough people have brought that up down here and we kind of go about our business. And even the road games you mentioned, all due respect to our CONCACAF brethren, but going to Jamaica or Cuba or these places aren't, isn't going to sharpen your game, especially as it applies to who you might face in the world cup. And with the nation's league and really the compartmentalizing of the regions, 
games against European teams or South American teams aren't going to happen. That's, that's why I secretly push for a biennial World Cup. I get a lot of tomatoes thrown my way, but I figure that give them a few more opportunities against the, the top team. But this is really a gift. This is a gift that Canada's developed, and now we have a, a, a second prominent team in the region that we can play where you can have very challenging road games, which you can't expect because of the unique circumstances in Canada. So for all that we've said about CONCACAF, and it was Mexico, USA, Canada looks like they're here to stay at least for the next 10 years with these young players. This is, I, I, I think you're right. This is, is creates a, not only a, an edge for a much needed edge for USA, but also Mexico in the big picture. If, if Costa Rica or Panama could reach that level again, it's good. We need more teams that can be, you know, feared a little bit on the world stage. And I think Canada will f- put some fear into some European and South American teams. Yeah, I agree. And the region needs to think about how they're going to handle between 2022 and 2026, right? Because they're all going to go the games. away. Yeah. They're all going to go away, right? Because they're, they're automatically qualifying for the World Cup in 2026. So what are you going to do to get those competitive juices flowing? And I'm sorry, it's not just the Gold Cup every two years playing on home soil for the U.S., <laughs> right? So they got to figure this out, Max, right? they got to figure – I think Greg Berholtz is – if not, if the media aren't talking about it, I guarantee you internally they are. And Canada's going to have to figure that out too because this is, as I said, and I've written about many times, this is unprecedented time right now. We're never going to get this back because we're going for three spots for a World Cup then they're going to host the World Cup and get the automatic spot. Then the inflated, bloated places come out for the World Cup, so they're going to have more and more places to qualify. So this is the first and last time Canada's ever going to do this to, to, to try and qualify here. So, uh, it, it, you know, it, we're not that far off, by the way, of Tata Martino for a Mexican press saying we can't even judge Mexico in World Cup qualifying because the games are too easy. We wait till we get to the last 16 of the World Cup and then we'll, we'll, we'll figure out whether it's a successful campaign for them. Exactly. That's basically what they say, you know, but here we are now with Canada and the U.S. beating Mexico at home and delivering and, and Mexico again struggling tonight. So they are getting tested when they need to be. And that's, that makes it a stronger CONCACAF for me. I got, I've covered every sport and I've talked about it a lot, Christian, over the, uh, over the years, cer- certainly working at ESPN. Talking about this uh, gets me going more than any other conversation. There's so many layers to it. It's so compelling. And to look at it from your American prism or the Canadian or the Mexican or the UEFA or Comibol, and as it all goes into World Cup qualifying in particular. And because of the nature of these games, it's, I mean, these, I, I'm a nervous wreck. I'm stuck to the TV all the time watching this, looking at these results. Who's going to make the performance to go through? Who should be on the team? You name it. Give it. Shoot it into my veins. <laughs> it's the good stuff. It's great, though, right? It's fun. It's fabulous. No, this is what international sports about. You know, you know me. I grew up in the UK. I love Canada. I've been here 20 years. And I love all the sports. I'm not that person that will say England is better than North America. I want to go back there. You know, but what I was brought up with, Max, was the love for international sport, not just in football, but in cricket, in rugby, in any in sports around the world. And you go and that anthem plays and you see them represent your country. And I'm, I'm a sports nut. You know, my son will go anywhere and watch anything. But I do think when I watch a Major League Baseball game or go watch an NHL game or an NBA game, all of it's great, but none of it ticks the boxes for competitive sport like international sport. Sure. And we're lacking it here. And it's not just about the Olympics because the Olympics are something different and it's great, but they're in a far, far land away, not representing the country. You go and play on your home soil here in front of your own country and you play that anthem and you've got that badge on your, on your chest. That is international sport at its finest. And we don't have enough of it here in North America. What a seismic uh, shift for, for Canada in particular because of that. You know, obviously when the hockey team plays, you, they face the Olympics, there's some world championships at different age levels, but this is... The world hockey, again, all due respect, I'm not stepping on any toes, but it's eight, 10 countries. This is the World Cup in Canada can compete at the very best with Argentina, Brazil, England, France, you name it. So just going over these last couple of weeks, let's start with the stadium and what was the atmosphere? Because I checked with you because I was trying to get up there. One of my people on our production team got COVID, so that kind of nixed it really quickly. So there it is. But you, there was Canada's has got a different guidelines than, say, the United States when it comes to COVID. Very strict. For instance, Tim Weah, his paperwork wasn't 100 percent unable to go in. 
And I know I, we spoke that there was a, an outside shot that there weren't going to be fans. Yeah, it was pumping. It wasn't it wasn't full capacity, correct? But no. what, what was it like? What was what was Hamilton like? What was Canada like heading into that game? Yeah, it was really good to see because, as you know, and a lot of our listeners won't know this. So the restrictions here are very tight. They're actually changing as of Monday a little bit more and more. But like, for example, my kids can't play indoor sports right now in this month. My son plays baseball. My daughter's dance. They can't do indoor sports. All capacity has been reduced. Um, the Maple Leafs, you know, down the street are not playing games in front of fans. Hockey games are all, uh, Raptors, they're all, they're all shut. So we have, we've had nothing going on inside. This was outdoors, so it was under different restrictions. Um, originally, it was sold out, at a, you know, close to 25,000 people. And then when the, the new restrictions came in, they said we have to do 50% capacity. So they, sell, they, they gave everyone the tickets back and they put it out again, controversially for some. Some people couldn't get the tickets. Um, but to answer your question, it felt a lot more than the so-called 12, 13, 14,000 were in there. That, it, felt, it felt a lot more. You know, it, was it was so loud, Christian. Yeah. The pops when the goals happened. I mean, they, they gave, you, gave you goose pimples when you heard that. So, and you could see optically it wasn't full, but there's, and when it's cold, people get a little bit close together, I'm sure. Yeah. But it felt close to it. It felt close to, it felt like 20. To me. Yeah, it definitely did. And, you know, it's that kind of stadium that's obviously two, only two-sided as well, right? So they, but it didn't necessarily look as full as maybe some have thought. But, yeah, it was a great, fe- great feeling, great atmosphere, going, driving to the game, parking up, seeing the people in the streets. I saw some people saw the videos that I posted on Twitter with the Canadian bus showing up and then the Canadian fans' arrival. And that, people seemed to love that, which was great. And so it was just for, for us as Canadians that haven't had that kind of, atmosphere it was just great to see people mingling smiling being together again um you know it's still a difficult world out there for a lot of people families have been through some difficult challenges i know that firsthand it's been difficult uh so you know for me that was the overriding emotion for me max before a whistle was was blown or a ball was kicked was that people were together smiling and getting behind this team again and um thankfully for the canadians they were able to have a party with the result as well and again this was in hamilton which is about an hour away from toronto so you leading Obviously, tomorrow morning, I, I imagine what's it, what's tomorrow morning going to look like in the in the papers on TV in Canada. What kind of piece of the pie? Because you know, Canadian soccer, as you said, very similar to U.S. soccer went in the big picture compared to some other sports. But growing, I I've mentioned on my Twitter handle, and by the way, go check out Christian Jack's Twitter handle. It's incredible with the buses coming in, just uh, breathtaking to see how exciting uh, the scenes in and around the stadium were. Canadian basketball. Uh, also on the rise, I, I kind of feeling like they could be, wouldn't beat the U S but maybe beat everyone else with all these players that are coming to the NBA. And, and then we talked about it a little bit about the, the immigration policy to Canada and th- these young players that are from their families are from different parts of the world. And what, what blows me away is they come to Canada and, and Canada opens the doors to them and they just become Canadians so quickly. I think in this country that happens, but they not everyone just rushes as I'm American. Uh, many do, but there's this thing where they just, you know, will will run through a wall for Canada because of what they've done for them and their family. Uh, how much do we 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 paint that picture towards that being a part of the emergence of not just what's happening in soccer, but clearly in basketball too? Yeah, I think it's a good point. We haven't always had that in soccer, by the way, and you know we've had. You know, Canadian soccer history will tell you that they've had the Mexicans or the Hondurans come to play a game in Canada and it's been 80% visitors cheering on who live in Canada cheering on that team. So I think some of the choices where they're playing has certainly helped that. You know, I can only speak from personal experience. I've lived here just over 20 years now, so I've seen a whole new generation come. And, and for me, what I notice, it's a very different Canada to the Canada that I found. I love this country, um, but it was very you know, very, very quiet when I arrived and, you know, not many people were pumping it out there on the chest and, and now everybody, you know, talk anything will love about this country. And it's the same with Toronto with the Raptors when they won the championship and the Blue Jays got all the way to the ALCS and things like that. It's like they, they really get behind their teams a lot more now, this young generation are youthful about it. And the, the players are the same, you know, they're now choosing Canada when they could have chosen other countries. Uh, they've made that decision. I've covered this team for so long. I remember chasing 
uh, Jonathan de Guzman around BMO Field trying to get an exclusive interview because he was going to claim he was going to play for Canada, and then suddenly he was playing for the Dutch at the World Cup. You know, it was it was always you know, can you come and play for us? You know, you beg, borrow, and steal to try and get these players, and now you don't even need to do any of that. You know, they're sliding into DMs of other players saying, "I want to play play with you guys instead." So the complete, it's just been a complete transformation in terms of that. So it's uh, it's great to see, and and you know, long may it continue. And I, I double-barreled my question, which is a no-no in, in in this kind of scenario. But what do you think tomorrow morning is going to look like in Canada with regards to this result? Obviously, not just the win, but beating the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's front-page news. It's front-page news. There's no doubt about it. It's leading all sports center and leading everything. And I know the NFL games are on, and they've been enormous, and they're massive parts of what's going on here. I think if the Bills would have made it and they almost made the AFC Championship, that would have been a bit of a more of a sidetrack. This massive Buffalo Bills connection here, certainly in Southern Ontario. Um, so they just made, you know, they missed that out. But it's it's everywhere. You know, it's everywhere. The, the, the networks are picking it up. It's national national news. Everyone's talking about it. And I, never, and I always say this, and I probably said it to you before, but there's no bigger, more powerful words put together in our sport than World Cup. The moment you put those two words together everybody's talking. I've got friends messaging me now who know what I've been doing for 20 years and never would talk to me about soccer. And it's like, I hear Canada have made the World Cup or I'm hearing Canada are making the World Cup. And it's, everyone's talking about it now because the World Cup, people sit back and they watch it. And um, yeah, they're, this is becoming real, absolutely real. And they're almost there. They're almost there. Uh, by the way, Sports Center with an E at the end, as That's you have right. in Canada. I always like to remind everyone that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Max, you're almost one of us. You've been here like, Sports Century. I'm just kidding. I kid. <laughs> I got to get back up there. I miss it. I got to make my trip. So uh, I will definitely love, love getting up there. Great people and just always have a wonderful time and exchange some great stories with everyone. And Canada, as you mentioned, those two words, World Cup, it would be the first time since 1986, which was, of course, the Maradona World Cup. Canada got in. USA did not qualify for that one. Canada got in and um three and done i was who i, I can't i they never I, scored they didn't score they, never a goal, scored a goal. they got they got very close to getting nil nil against france and platini scored That's very late right, of course and uh but you know there's a whole generation missing out on that so you know it's, it may not be like oh I w- people wondering uh or waiting to to be part of a world cup again I, i'm sure a lot of fans were it was a, such a malaise that they would just say you know well, we're not getting to the world cup let's not think that way because up, up until recently they wouldn't even get close and qualifying you know even no, making not, the final six no wasn't even a thought not so even I, a thought yeah so some of these fans are probably going eh. I, I can imagine it's just going to be this incredible sensation and all and people kind of walking into this new world to see what it's like and then they'll quickly get used to it and say when do we get back again Certainly by 2026, which they will because of be participating as a co-host. But I'm excited to see that journey with these fans, to see what the Canadian traveling fans look like, to see how they perform in Qatar and rally the troops, to see how they continue developing, because it, it just all seems good right now for the Canadians. Yeah, I'm excited, too. And, you know, for me, they deserve it. You know, I was I was privileged enough to do 200 hours of live television for TSN during the 2018 World Cup. And. We approach those broadcasts, in our opinion, and we're not you know, pumping our own tires, but unlike any other country in the world, because we didn't have our country in the, in, in the World Cup, but also because we have such a melting pot of cultures in our country. So we know when, we t- when you turn on Italy, or Italy weren't playing them, but you know, when you turn on an Italian game or a Serbian game or Australian game, you name the country, um, you know, there's a huge amount of fans in, from, from that country that would expect us to know that country and know those players and know that tactic. So... That's what we did. And we did a deep dive into all that. And then now, you know, those conversations, those fantasy conversations that what people would say, oh, who would you support if Italy played Canada or Croatia played Canada? And now, now they're, they're turning into possibilities or Portugal played Canada, you know? And this is what people are jumping on now. They, they have their own country from their own origin, but they're now able to say, this is my, my country as well. And this new generation of Canadians can go, no, this is, this is my country. I'm going to support this team more than the other team. How many fans do you think will 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 be uh, of those fan bases will switch? Because I, I think it was the 2006 World Cup, and it was Australia was playing Italy, and that was a game where the Ita- Italians went down a man. Then Australia could. I was in Germany for that World Cup. Well, I remember it. Yeah. And well, we I was watching it on ESPN, and then they had this shot. It goes live shots from Melbourne, Australia, where we're going to show the fan base and how disappointed. And then they get the shot, and there's celebrations. There's all these Italian Australians, <laughs> right? No, 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 no. We're still pulling for Italy, and uh, and it was like it was a weird sense because there's fireworks going off. So 
I'm sure not everyone's if a situation came in, but it would it would appear knowing Canada and how parochial it is and how everyone looks that at the very least, a lot of folks will have two favorite teams. And if they end up playing each other, they'll just have a dilemma, I'm sure. I'm sure it will be. Yeah, it's a dilemma, right? But I'm, I, I see things in the future and I think these kind of things are planted so the next generation or this generation that's growing up right now can make that change, right? I'm not expecting, you know, the 50, 60-year-old Italian guy, if they get lucky enough to make the World Cup, to suddenly say, oh, no, I'm not going to cheer for Italy, now I'm going to cheer for Canada. But, you know, maybe his son or his grandson or, or the granddaughter might do that, you know, 15-year-old, or they're getting behind their country, their Canada, you know? So maybe that will, that, that will change that story, but... Hey, we all know Italy have got a long way to go before they make the World Cup anyway. So we'll see. <laughs> Maybe Italy and Portugal, they won't have a they won't have a dog in the fight. Uh, exactly. <laughs> the hey, Serbians two, will. That, hey, Italy and Portugal are massive in Toronto, at least, where you know, so I think one of them will at least one of them will be there. And let me say, if they get in the same group as Canada, wow, will this country be go crazy? And Canada Canada keeps winning. They may move up a pot here they in might. the thing, which it's looking a little bit difficult, but you never I'm know. sure. Yeah, and they're starting from so way back, and they've crawled in there. But I, I'm 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 keen to see the FIFA rankings after this result when it comes right. out because it's going to give them a jump. I, th- I looked at the numbers. I I think they may go up to like 35, which is a big jump. Yeah, for one yeah. result, but the things are pretty tight there. Band of Brothers. You know, I'm a big Shakespeare fan, and you said that about this team, and that's how I'm going to look at them. And maybe I'll I'll, I'll catch up on uh, some Shakespearean reading there to to think about this Canadian team and Christian Jack joining us here on the Soccer OG and. Christian, more than anything, for somebody who has bled for Canadian soccer, who's gone through it all and every Zoom call and every appearance here and interview at whatever hour, I'm really happy for you because covering this team in Qatar, I hope I'm not jinxing it. There's no way we're jinxing it. They're, they're, they're in. That it, it, what, what a thrill it is for you to be able to do that and have that connection. I know American uh, journalists kind of feel it when they missed out and then they don't want to go through that again. But being in Canada, not having that experience – it's it's wonderful to know that you will be able to enjoy that here in 2022. Thanks, Max. I appreciate it. Hopefully, me and you will both be there in Qatar. We can enjoy it together, man. <laughs> we'll share we a room. Be- I know there's no hotels. Well, Why I will not? bunk in there, man. We'll, yeah, exactly. I'll bring a hammock. Yeah, we'll get a tent or something. <laughs> My bag is going to be of two changes of clothes and some whiskey that I, so I won't have to worry about getting there. But we'll exactly. worry that when it gets exactly. it gets to that point. You know. Christian Jack joining me in the business and we'll be back with stoppage time as we'll look ahead to the next run of qualifiers. This is Soccer OG. that cover the Canadian team. You know, folks have been covering that sport there for a long time and there hasn't been a payoff. It's not that they've uh, not made a World Cup. It's they haven't even come close. I mean, they uh, barely make the final six when it used to be the Hex. And now the Octagonal, they are not only in it, they are leading the way. So coming up this next week, a pretty significant World Cup round on Wednesday. Again, come to Tony P's in the Marina Del Rey area. Admiral T-Way, if you're in the Los Angeles area, for our live stream, the Soccer OG going live after the USA game, hopefully with some good news. Maybe pop up on the stream. Stream. I don't know. I double dipped there. Double stream. And then we'll be also there at 9, roughly, for the recap of everything we saw. So what are we getting into on this Wednesday? The United States will take on Honduras in frigid St. Paul, Minnesota. Jamaica, Costa Rica... El Salvador, Canada, and the big game, really, when you look at the standings, Mexico and Panama. Looking at the standings now, Canada, clean set of heels at 22 points with a plus 12 goal differential. USA, 18 points. Mexico, 18 points. USA has a plus six. Mexico has a plus five. That's why the United States remain in second. And I think when we look at the U.S. and people get upset about the job Greg Berhalter, and it's been far from a perfect job, certainly with the execution of the game day situations. But he's in second place. You've got to look at the numbers. You've got to look at how it, how it appears and say, okay, that's fine. He's in second place. Some people were telling me this feels like four years ago. No, it doesn't. We were, we were 
playing catch up for so long and we will never we have not had a situation where we lost it home to Costa Rica. That was a different animal. We have not gotten to that point. If we lose to Honduras, we certainly could. We could find ourselves perhaps in fourth. I don't think we could go to fourth because Mexico is playing Panama. But let's face it, Honduras have been really bad. Minus 14 goal differential, three points have yet to get a victory. I don't know what happened to the Catrachos. The bottom just fell out. It's a disappointment, but it's probably also a good thing. You want to get into a cycle. And I talked to Carlos Pavon when I go down to Univision, Honduran legend. He says the talent is there. It's just about putting the pieces together and just revitalizing the game right now because you hit these dry patches. And, you know, Honduras has had some great memories, some superstar players, and hopefully uh, we'll see them get back. We want a good CONCACAF. That's why I love what Canada is doing. Because now we have three good teams. And like Christian said, now USA has a fixture that will be challenging against an elite team uh, in the Canadians. It used to be Mexico. And you maybe get Costa Rica, Honduras, one of those Central American countries. I feel a little bad for the Because you'd always get a Central American country in the World Cup. And what Canada has done is taken that away. They'll take that away here. And we'll see what happens in 2026 when we have this expanded World Cup. I hope we have four teams. We should have four teams. The question is, Panama good enough to beat New Zealand? We can't definitively say yes, being disrespectful to New Zealand. It's because Panama's not a, a world beater. Costa Rica could still get there. Costa Rica could still get there. Got a nice point against Mexico. And now Costa Rica traveled to Jamaica. Jamaica just... I took it on took it on the nose these last two games. You know, they were up on Mexico and they ended up losing 2-1. They were up on Panama, they ended up losing 3-2. They're in spoiler roll as Jamaica now actually slips behind El Salvador. So they're in seventh. You know, I may, I did a tweet and it was very well received. I think I had a thousand likes. And I said, when the U.S. looks for a coach again, Hugo Perez has to be considered the El Salvadorian coach. And now that he's in sixth with that talent... Just emerging, beginning this cycle, just keep an eye on him. Certainly a former U.S. international. He's building El Salvador, much like in the image of the United States. A hardworking team, very fit, high press. He just doesn't have the players. But we saw with El Salvador, they gave the United States a real scare in that game in Columbus. USA should put a number on Honduras. There is some injury concerns. We don't know a whole lot about it just now, but Tyler Adams, I think, is the big one with the hamstring. Hamstrings usually take longer than three or four days. Walker Zimmerman was held out because of a hamstring. I don't know how long, far along that was. Chris Richards with a foot injury. And Chris Richards is looking wonderful. He is becoming an our elite center back. We talked about Miles Robinson, but really the guy looks like it's going to be Richards, our top central defender when it's all said and done heading into the World Cup. We got to find the right partnership for him. Miles Robinson, we can't be too hard on him, although he had a really rough outing. He uh, He's allowed one. He didn't play in so long. But Richards and Zimmerman were great against El Salvador. And I think that's the number one pairing right now for a lot of reasons. You know, the U.S. lost to Canada, and we don't give up a lot of goals. That's a good thing. We don't. We are hard to score, and we're not going to get beaten up by any of these teams, although we did allow that second goal late. We just got to score some, and I hope they're able to find that touch on Wednesday in St. Paul. I, I know everyone talks about the cold. The cold has not been a factor, I don't think, to some degree. It's no fun to play out there when the field is hard and the ball is hard and every tackle feels 10 times worse. But the U.S., even in those conditions, should be able to emerge. I just hope it doesn't get hairy. Anything less than a win, we can start a panic. Not a panic, but we still have some wiggle room. And it'll be hard to see we slip any further down than fourth. Remember four years ago, we didn't finish fourth. We uh, we missed that. We were below. We didn't even go to the playoff. So we're ahead of where we were four years ago. But we've got to look at these players as what puts together the best team. We've got to find partnerships that work. I think the midfield is there. we got to work on that front three because it's not working. And the fullbacks, I think, still a work in progress. I don't think you just ride in Jedi Robinson and Serginho Dest every time. And I, I wonder if those are going to be the two guys against Honduras. There should be a change there. Cannon came on. 
Yedlin's available. Uh, Kellen Acosta, I think, is going to play a big role there when I talk about the players not available. The U.S. has to do that and get that momentum because now, you know, I feel better of their chances getting a result at the Azteca than against Canada away because Mexico, as we point out, have just not been there. They have problems. In a perfect world, I would love USA to finish second, Panama third, and Mexico fourth. And I'm not saying I want Mexico to drop down, but I feel more confident of Mexico in that playoff than I do with Panama. I want four CONCACAF teams, and when they get to the World Cup, I'm going to pull for all of them. We've got to stick in this together. So there we have it. World Cup qualifying, speeding up through this stretch, and then we have three more games at the end of March, and then we hope it doesn't come down to that USA-Panada game. And the U.S. can punch their ticket and then work on things. This is still a young team. Was it like nine players under the age of 24? These are still kids. They're still learning. We've made a lot of progress. And we'll get better when Reyna and Busio and some others are able to go. And maybe Josh Sargent finds that. There's a lot to be positive about. And this is a very good Canadian team we lost to. It may be, in hindsight, it was to be expected. But it's their moment we got to put our heads down and just go for the target, which was the same target from the beginning, qualify for the World Cup. Hopefully we'll see you at Tony P's. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under Max Bretos. We'll have something here this week. Thanks for everyone who tuned in. We had a phenomenal few weeks here on the podcast with our numbers. We'll talk to you very soon. Placido Domingo.